Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Greater Albuquerque Church of Christ, where we strive to discover and reflect the fullness of Christ together. We hope this sermon inspires and encourages you in your walk with Christ. And to learn more about our local church or to support us, please visit abqcoc.com. Church, it's such a pleasure to be with you all this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Cameron Calhoun. I graduated from UNM last year with my bachelor's degree in environmental planning and currently have the awesome privilege of serving as an intern for the Alpha Omega Campus Ministry. If you're joining us for the first time today, we're reading a book together called With by Sky Jathani, and we're in part three of that series. And really, it's all about the different ways or postures that people can relate to or view God. If you have not started reading that book yet, please do. Or if you haven't gotten a copy, please do. There's are a couple copies in the back in the in the uh, the table in the back. There are free gift to you, so please get one if you haven't yet. And so the Bible, really at its core, is a story about a God who simply wants to be with His people. Amen. His deepest desire is to be united with His creation and have communion with them. And He would do anything possible to make that happen, despite our rebellion. And we as humans, whether we realize it or not, we're created to be with and enjoy God. However, throughout history and still today, people have not always viewed God in this way. And this book seeks to address the flawed ways in which people relate to God and show us that a life with God is the most fulfilling one possible. So last week, Armin talked about life over God, which reduces God to some basic principles that you can follow to lead a more successful and better life. It says that we don't need to have a relationship with God and that we can just, you know, take control ourselves and maybe apply some spiritual principles here and there. And the week before that, we talked about uh, this posture called life under God, which views God as a capricious deity that we must appease if we want things from him. It assumes that if our lives are going well, God must be pleased with us. We must be doing something right. Or, you know, if our lives are going badly, then God's mad at us and we must be doing something wrong. And of course, all these postures are incomplete or flawed in some way um, and will ultimately not lead us to the life to the full that Jesus promises for us. So please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Today I'm going to talk about the life from God posture. So where life under God seeks to mitigate fear and gain control through appeasing God and life over God seeks to do the same thing through taking control yourself and applying some spiritual principles Life from God seeks a good life by asking God for it directly and then taking it and running. One second, I apologize. So life from God, it sees God as a means to an end and not the end itself. And I think this line from Jathani summarizes this posture the best. Life from God is valuing the Father's gifts more than the Father himself. So in my personal experience, this posture is so dangerous because on the surface, it seems so outrageous and unthinkable. Like when I read the intro to this posture, I was like, there's no way that's me. Like that's horrible. I would never just come to God to get things, but it's actually so easy to get into this way of thinking without even realizing it. I had the same experience that uh, Shanti showed a couple weeks ago. Um, Upon closer examination, I realized that this posture is the one that I relate to um, the most often. So let's look at the story of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11 in Luke 15. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, good. Batteries. Thank you. <laughs> Quick change. <laughs> Thank you. Give it up for Avi. All right, I'll start in verse 13. It says, Not long after that, the younger sense got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So in Jesus' time period and culture, this request would have been particularly outrageous. In the Jewish community, everything revolved around the household unit, which consisted of a patriarch who was the head of the household, his extended family, and their wives. And it was of the utmost importance to keep the family lineage and household surviving and thriving. So when a patriarch died, the household and all of its belongings were split between the two sons. So in asking for his share of the inheritance early and then proceeding to cash it all in on his whatever he wanted, the part of someone was essentially saying, you know, Dad, I really just wish you were dead. I no longer desire to be a part of this family and uphold my responsibility. It was probably the most offensive and insulting thing you could do to your family at that time. And so the son's actions here really reveal his heart. He simply wanted what his father had to offer and didn't really want his father at all. And as soon as he gets what he wants, he just leaves. This is ultimately what life from God looks like. It views God as a, a cosmic vending machine um, that we can just come to for things when we want them. And as soon as we get what we want, we just, we just leave. This could look like coming to God for material prosperity or comfort or relief from trials, but really having no desire to have an intimate relationship with God. And we can do this, do this with, you know, small things without even realizing it. You know, coming to God so you can pass a test or make a good impression on your boss or to get relief from sickness. But as soon as you get what you want, you just forget about God. And this posture is so prevalent in Western culture, probably because it encourages this kind of behavior. Western culture is characterized by consumerism, and it aims to make people as comfortable as possible through purchasing material goods and services. It prioritizes the interest of the consumer above everything else. And this in turn produces an attitude among consumers that their satisfaction is the most important thing to such a great extent that if the consumer is not satisfied, then a great injustice has been done. The pursuit of one's own success, dreams, and desires above everything else is part of our cultural DNA. Yeah. This mindset has also unfortunately made its way into the church. Yeah. Sometimes people come to church for comfort when they're experiencing trouble in their lives so they can become better people themselves or because they just enjoy the preaching or the worship. And not that these things are inherently bad, but it becomes more about what the church can offer people to make them satisfied that they're consuming some kind of service from the church. Many churches have also bought into this. They focus more on their production value and delivering a flashy service above helping people get to know God better and teaching biblical discipleship. Some churches are even built on this prosperity gospel, which teaches that Christianity is all about growing in your own personal well-being. This is not just happening out there. This self-centeredness has also made its way into this church. The 2023 survey we did at the end of last year Reveal that the biggest thing competing for our allegiance to Christ is ourselves. 
according to that survey, over half of you said that you struggle with putting Jesus above yourself on a regular basis. This attitude is especially problematic when we're bringing into our relationship with God. It places us at the center of the universe in the place that God should be. This is a huge problem because when we are the most important thing to us, then we believe that our needs and desires are the most important and that God is even obligated to give them to us. When we don't get these things, it sparks all kind of negative feelings like, God, why didn't I get that promotion? I thought you loved me and wanted me to succeed. Imagine in any relationship how toxic this would be. You know, when I was in college, um, I pursued a romantic relationship as hard as I could, but not because I wanted, you know, a particular person to be with them, because because I wanted the benefits that came along with having a relationship. You know, companionship, to feel loved by someone, to have someone to show off to my friends, even sex. I placed myself and my desires at the center of finding a relationship. In 2020, I started dating this girl, and I brought that attitude into that relationship. And you can only imagine the problems that it caused for us. It was built on me thinking that I deserve certain things from her, and her feeling an obligation to deliver results to me. If that would have continued, we certainly would have broken up. But purely by the grace of God and the healing he brought, I'm engaged to her. She's sitting right there. But most importantly, imagine how deeply this posture must break God's heart. With my fiance, my dream is to get married, start a family with her, spend our lives together. And now imagine how hurt she would be if she found out the only reason I wanted to do that was because I thought she was just really attractive. And then one day when I thought she wasn't attractive anymore, I just left. This is how we treat God when we behave this way. And I can only imagine the grief that it causes him. Let's continue our story in Luke 15. I'm going to pick up in verse 14. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So after the father's blessings run out, The son is left feeling unsatisfied and in need, so he comes back to the father. But notice, the son still isn't really focused on his father. He just wants more things from his dad. He appeals to his father only so he can get a job. If that habit never happened, I guarantee you, he probably never even would have thought to come back to his dad. The father is still just a means to an end. And this is the reoccurring pattern of the life from God posture. When blessings from God run out or we feel stressed again, Only then do we come back to God. This leads to another problem in this posture. It will never truly satisfy us because the things we desire from God will always either run out or only satisfy us for a short time if we are apart from God. What are the things that you desire most from God? I think for me, the biggest thing to look for God is comfort. 
deep down, I expect God to give me, you know, an easy, stress-free, problem-free life in which I'll never have to do anything that takes me out of my comfort zone. And when I am forced out of my comfort zone, it leads me to seek comfort in God, which, by the way, comfort is something that God never promises in the Bible. This leads to yet another problem in the life from God posture. When we use God as a means to take away discomfort or pain, we numb ourselves from the most important things that God may be trying to warn us of through our pain or ways he's trying to refine us or discipline us. Sometimes pain and discomfort is the most important thing we can feel because it warns us of sin and weaknesses in our character. In the last few months, I felt really convicted personally because I'd fallen short of being a light to my family and friends. My behavior and speech around them did not reflect Jesus, and I deliberately avoided opportunities to talk about God with them because of my own fear and insecurities. This brought me a lot of grief, and through this grief, God was screaming to me that I needed to fix my idolization of my own comfort. But instead of leaning into this, I came to God and asked him to just take away my comfort and give me relief and bring me back to a place of happiness. But in that moment, however, I needed to feel my grief the most because it was showing me an area that I needed to repent. In this situation, I saw God as a means to my own comfort and didn't want anything to do with him trying to refine me. And so just like the other postures, there's, there's truth in this posture, but it is incomplete and sprinkled with false assumptions. Um, the truth is, is that God wants us to come to him with our struggles and frustrations. He actually commands us to cast our anxieties on him and present our requests to him. And these things are critical to having a relationship with him. But where it goes wrong is when you and your desires become more important than God and his glory. Along with this, it also assumes that God is somehow obligated to give us our desires and meet those needs. And finally, it sees God's blessings as more valuable than God himself. There is a huge difference in coming to God between, because we love him and find comfort from being with him and because we just want the things he has to offer. Since reading this book, I've caught myself many times coming to God in prayer because I, you know, I just wanted things or simply you know, to please my desires instead of wanting to commune with him. I go for a lot of prayer walks, and a lot of those walks are spent asking God to give me strength to do my job well, or preach a good lesson on Sunday, or lead a good Bible study. And these are not inherently bad things. Like Armin talked about last week, we, we need to rely on God and realize that we can do nothing on our own. However, that was not always my heart. Upon further reflection, I realized that these walks had actually very little to do with me wanting to rely on God and commune with him and more so wanting me to be successful at my job so I could be puffed up. And God's strength was just my ticket to doing that. This led me to feeling really frustrated at God when I, you know, preached a lesson that didn't go so well. So do you see how sneaky this posture is and how easy it can be to fall into it? And again, most likely at different points in your life, you're going to fall into different postures, and it's always good to examine yourself to see where your heart is. A great way to check if you're living in this posture is to look at your prayers. You know, what do your prayers look like? What do they consist of? Do they include gratitude and praise and express admiration for God? Or are they just you asking God for things? When do you pray? Does the quality and quantity of your prayers change when you're going through a hard season or feeling stressed or anxious, or want something? Or do you come to God with the same amount of intensity every time? 
Why do you pray? Is it because you want to be with God and commune with him? Or is there, is there something else there? Next time you spend some time praying, take some time and ask yourself, why am I really coming to God? And again, God wants you to bring your requests and anxieties to him, but as part of a relationship with him. And there's also truth in this posture that God promises some amazing things in the Bible. He promises rest for our souls, life to the full, peace that surpasses all understanding, strength when we're weak to take care of our needs and so much more. And he wants to give us those things. But if you could have these things without God, would you still come to him? If not, you might be living in this posture. We receive these things as a side effect of having an intimate relationship with him. And you will realize very quickly they don't last very long when you leave, just like the prodigal son's wealth. We cannot come to God just to get these things. It must be because we are deeply in love with him. So if this is you, or if you catch yourself slipping into this posture from time to time, how do we move from life from God to life with God? We've got to combat these false assumptions that we talked about earlier, that, that one, our needs and desires are most important, two, that God is obligated to give them to us, and three, that those things are more valuable than God himself. If we're going to do that, we've got to get better at seeing God as the treasure and not just a means to the treasure. This means taking ourself out of the center of the universe and replacing it with God and his glory. When you see how awesome God truly is, your desire for everything else goes away and you, only all you want is him. All the things we came to God for before, material blessings or success or joy or peace, we realize that we either don't need those things or they come as a side effect of being with God. This also makes you realize that it's way more important for God to be lifted up than for you to get, you know, comfort or whatever you want. Let's turn to Philippians 3. The Apostle Paul is probably the best example of this. I'm going to start in verse 7. He writes, But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul treasured Jesus so much that he considered everything else garbage. He cared about nothing else, being comfortable, being successful, being blessed. All of it was worthless. All he wanted was Jesus. He was able to be perfectly content even though he endured everything. Being hated, flogged, placed in jail, starved, shipwrecked, you name it. This is what it looks like to live with God. Like Paul, we've got to see Jesus as more valuable than anything else. So how do we grow and treasure in God like this? It takes lots of time and practice, and it's not going to happen overnight. If you're visiting here today or you feel like you don't know God that well, a great place to start is ask someone who invites you to study the Bible. We've got a great series that can teach you and help you truly fall in love with Jesus. So for me, something that really helped me treasure God was intentionally looking for his character in everything. You don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter 1, verse 20, reads, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities 
His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made, so people are without excuse. God has intentionally woven his character into everything so the people would seek him. This means that nature, human beings, good food, and the story of your life has God's fingerprints all over it. The next time you see a beautiful sunset or eat a really good dinner or have a great time with your friends or, you know, see a beautiful flower or God gives you maybe an unexpected blessing, take a few moments to thank him, express your love and meditate on what that thing says about God's character. So here's some things that I've seen and experienced recently that have helped me treasure God's goodness. For example, being able to be engaged to my fiance, despite all of my sin and selfishness towards her, shows me God's undeserved grace. I went on this super beautiful snowshoeing adventure in the Valles Caldera over winter break, um, and God showed me his beauty and creativity through it. And this spiritual family that I get to be a part of, I can see God in every one of you. When we see how awesome God is, we realize that he himself is more valuable than anything you could get from him. Something else that really helped me with treasuring God is reading and praying through the Psalms. They're full of prayers that reflect God's goodness and can act as a guide for your prayers to help you treasure God above anything else. So for me, that looks like reading through a Psalm and then reading it again, but verse by verse, praying what through what, Praying through what comes to my heart when I read that verse. A great example is Psalm 142. Um, so when David wrote Psalm 142, he was on the run from Saul and hiding in a cave where Saul was trying to kill him. He prays to God and asks for help and for deliverance in verse 6. But he still has a heart of treasuring God and not just asking for things. Example is verse 5. It reads, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Let's turn back to Luke 15. We're going to close out today by finishing the story of the prodigal son. I'm going to start in verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. Now remember that that in this cultural context, the son had rejected the father and the family and would have been disowned and maybe even killed as a result of his actions. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father's heart in this passage is that he doesn't care what condition we're in or how much we've used him, insulted him, or spit in his face. He just wants to be with us. He is a lovesick father who would stop at nothing, not even the cost of his own son, to be with you and would throw the party of a lifetime because he's so happy to finally have you back all along. And that is why you should come to him. All along, the son was looking for wealth, security, and comfort, but he was trying to get those things from his father by his own means. We don't get to see the son's response in this, but I'm sure he felt foolish and realized that everything he could ever want could be found through his relationship with his dad. 
God is the most precious treasure we could ever hope for. And let's strive together to see him as that and not just as a means. I'm going to pray to close out today. Good morning, Heavenly Father. God, we love you so much. We thank you so much for your heart, God, for your grace, for your love, Lord. God, I pray that we could just grow in treasuring you above all things, God, that we could see you as more valuable than anything else and just be able to see, God, how awesome you are every single day. I pray that you would just heal our hearts, God, if we're, this is us today. And I pray you would just help us to grow in treasuring you, Lord. I love you so much. I pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Please go and get your kids. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Appreciate you.